listeners, to those of you who've subscribed to my limited run podcast series, See You on the Bookshelf, this is not a mistake. My account did not get hacked. This is Jack Shang here, the author of See You in the Cosmos, coming to you in March of 2021, three years after the last episode of this podcast aired. I have a few updates. The first is that See You in the Cosmos has been, by almost all measures, a tremendous success. It got some glowing reviews, was mentioned in numerous best of lists, and even won a couple of awards, including the Golden Kite and the Great Lakes Great Reads Award for Best Middle Grade Fiction. I've spoken at numerous schools and conferences about the book, including in places like Hong Kong, Singapore, and Shanghai, China. I'm also close to finishing a new middle grade novel that's more directly based on my own experience growing up as a Chinese-American kid in Metro Detroit. The best way to stay up to date on when that comes out is to go to my website, jackchang.com, and sign up for my email newsletter. I've also gone back and transcribed each episode of See You on the Bookshelf. So if you're looking for a specific quote or bit of conversation from an episode, all that's up and searchable on my website as well. Once again, that's jackchang.com. My third and maybe most exciting update for you is that I have a new podcast. It's a little different than this one was in that it's much more of a group conversation. I'm doing it with a motley team of accomplished children's authors who've written picture books and YA novels and middle grade novels, the whole gamut. The show is called Booksmitten, and we're talking about the way that children's literature can be a source of hope and inspiration and even escape for kid and adult readers alike at different moments in our lives. To give you a taste of the new podcast, here is part of our second episode about some books that we all read as adults that we thought we would have loved as kids. Welcome, everyone. We are here. We are happy. We are human. And most of all, we are book smitten. We're so glad that you're here with us today as we are diving into all things kid lit. I am Kelly J. Baptist, and today's topic is books we love and wish we could have been reading when we were children. And I am Jack Chang here in Detroit. I'm Patrick Flores Scott in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I am Heather Shoemaker up north in Traverse City, and together we are book smitten. So books that we loved as kids, I think we're all readers as well as writers. And I don't know about you, but sometimes um, as I'm reading books, I come across a title that I think, oh my gosh, I would have loved this as an 11-year-old. I wish this had been written back in the day and I checked the copyright and it was, you know, published in the past couple of years. Or sometimes it was something published in the 90s. By then I was in in college <laughs> and out of college. So uh, there's books that ha- keep coming coming out. There's oldies and goodies, but there's new ones. Um, So there's a title that I'd love to share, which is When My Name Was Kieko, and that's by Linda Sue Park. And I don't know, um, I think a lot of people know Linda Sue Park's writing. Um, She won a Newbery, and she has a lot of books on a lot of topics out there. But this is one of hers that's near to my heart. And 
I don't think a lot of people know about it, but it's one that I'd recommend. Adults love it when I recommend it, and so do kids. Have any of you read When My Name Was Kieko? No, but I'd love to hear about it. Same. <laughs> so it, it's a book set in Korea during the um, Japanese occupation during World War II. And so I had, you know, sometimes when you're, especially when you're a kid growing up, you get a dose of history about, say, World War II, and it's focused in a certain area. Well, I didn't learn a lot about the whole Pacific side of the war. And I certainly didn't know that Korean kids and families were asked to change their names to a Japanese names, that they weren't allowed to speak Korean, that they even had to dig up the kind of uh, plants that they had in their yard so that they didn't have plants that represented Korea and Korean pride, but represented Japan and the Japanese empire just all the little daily things and is told from the perspective of an elementary school child. Um, it brings very serious matters home to a level that elementary middle school kids and, and, and adults um, can begin to grapple with. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful story of humanity and um, difficult times in, in the world and in a family. That sounds amazing. Mm. I'll have to read that. Uh, a Single Shard, um, which is also one of uh, Linda Supark's books. That's the one that I believe won the Newbery uh, Medal. Um, it's just like one of my favorites. And it's one of those books that is just, it's written in such a brisk pace too. It, the story just like moves so fast. And it's about this uh, this boy in Korea who sort of becomes interested in like pottery and so he sort of un unwittingly, or maybe unwittingly isn't the right word, but he he kind of like um, falls into apprenticeship with like a master potter. And it's just beautifully written. And it's set in, in medieval Korean times. I mean, it's not a right. modern story. So that's fascinating in and of itself. Wow. What's amazing and, and what I admire so much about like the great authors that are a part of our era right now is this ability to bring korean medieval times to to life in a way that a kid could handle right now i think there's just writer magic and 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 craft and hard work that goes into making that happen and as a writer who focuses really strongly on contemporary um modern uh realistic fiction that that just blows me away when an author can can do that mm. so what are some books that you wish that that had been around when or maybe they were around and you just never got around to reading them when you were a kid. I, I think it's really hard. I, I've, I've mentioned before, I think, that I was a struggling reader in terms of like focus and, and ability to attend um, to what I'm reading. And I think what wasn't around for me that is around for my kids is, is graphic novels. Mm. And they really got hooked to Captain Underpants and they're so silly and so ridiculous. But they've been uh, a gateway drug <laughs> to Telgemeier, who wrote the drama and all the smile and Roller Girl. They got into really early and that's been really amazing. I just think I would have benefited from those stories, like liking somebody who likes realistic and contemporary fiction and somebody who maybe needed some role models of watching people go through difficult things in their lives as they're a kid. So they've red roller girl and there's a new brilliant beautiful one that i think jameson illustrated about two boys in a refugee camp in africa who end up 
uh, just surviving that to, to make it to the U.S. And, and like, wow, they got there from Captain Underpants. And I and Jerry Craft, they've gotten into the new kid. And uh, what's the, the new one called? It's Class Act. Class Act. We've got. Yeah, they were they were like. Oh my gosh, it's the new Jerry Craft book. They got it for Christmas. They were like <laughs> so excited. But I've read them too, and I get emotional reading those books. And they're like Captain Underpants is the gateway to these other more brilliant, more um, emotionally complex books that are going to be the great way to emotionally complex novels. So I, I feel like they're really lucky to have that. And as somebody who struggled with attention in reading, I know that before I could realize that I didn't know what was going on, you know, in the situation back then, in Roller Girl, I'd be on page 15 <laughs> and sucked into the story. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of what I wish I would have had back then yeah. is that. Yeah. And also with the graphic novels, I mean, you can you can breeze through them really quickly because there's not generally as many words. But if you do that, it's such a disservice because the art tells so much story and having the combination and the mindset to say, you know what, books are more than just words that they can be. I know a lot of adults a little bit older than I am are pretty looking down their noses at graphic novels and, you know, having the old, that's just a comic book, that's not real reading, they're not using their imaginations. It's a different way of using imaginations. And I think it's uh, some of that artwork is tremendous as far as storytelling goes, too. Yeah, I think for some of those adults, if they would just sit down and read The New Kid and find that lump in their throat at times and just kind of holding back that little cry, <laughs> like they would realize the power, the power that these books have, that it's just another way of telling stories. But it is reading. You're reading the picture. You're reading the text. You're reading you're reading the world through the, the picture and the text. And these these author artists are able to just get us to this deep and powerful place in very few words and very few pages. And it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like I missed out, but I'm, I'm making up, making up uh, for lost time by reading my children's, <laughs> my two boys, I'm reading their books and loving it. So Patrick, do, what was the first maybe book that you remember really latching onto as a kid? Do you do you still remember what the first? Yeah, the first book that really captivated you being a, you know, a struggling reader at that time. I mean, it maybe wasn't until high school, like the the Outsiders, mm. I think was maybe the book that really sucked me in. And like, it's interesting. Written by a teenager, too. Written by a teenager. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I believe she was 15. We'd have to double check that. Yeah. But talk about authentic. <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally authentic. Totally authentic. I was, uh, my mom's from South America, so we were on a trip from Montevideo, Uruguay, Uruguay, to Buenos Aires, Argentina, on a bus that broke down for hours on the side of the road, and I just happened to have that book uh, with me. Uh, and who knows if I ever would have read it otherwise, because uh, I was such a struggling, but I just sat there, nothing else to do and cranked out the outsiders and I was enthralled. So yeah. that was that was maybe it. Wow. Wow. And, and my boys will will be able to answer that question and tell you a book that they were captivated by when they were six mm. or seven. <laughs> um, and so I'm I'm jealous of that retroactively, but uh. I don't know. 
I had my own, the own, ben, own, you know, the benefits to my childhood were different than the things that they've gotten. So it's no big deal. But as a writer now, like, I just want to be the writer that writes that book that sucks in a struggling reader more than anything. It's an awesome story. What about you, Kelly? For me, in terms of books that I've read recently that I wish I had as a kid, I'm going to go the picture book route, Hair Love by Matthew Cherry and also Crown and Ode to the Fresh Cut by Derek Barnes. Oh, yeah. And that's mm. simply because in the Black community, hair is just so important. And it's such an experience, whether you are a girl or a boy, to have your hair done. And it's a process. And to be able to see that in art form and also word form, um, I remember experiences where my mom was gone or she was somewhere and it's my dad trying to do our hair and it was not as smooth. It was not um, as, as painless. Um, so I could definitely relate to that reading Hair Love. And um, even now that I have cut all my hair off, which is another story, um, my dad was upset when we did that just because hair is a big thing. Um, but going to barbershops now, first time experience doing that and just seeing the transformation that happens um, when young boys, I mean, they'll be six or seven and their mom send them in with the money and they're interacting with their barber and, you know, just the camaraderie hmm. and just the source of strength in the community that barbershops have typically been. It's been amazing to see that. And I think my younger self would have really enjoyed reading uh, those two books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, there's a lot of, particularly in the picture book realm, a lot of picture books celebrating, I think, black hair and, mm-hmm. and pride and sense of, you know, this is me from a very young age. And that was so missing. Um, there was a little bit in the 1970s of a resurgence of trying to get a few books out there that might make somebody feel like, I'm okay and I'm, I'm worthwhile and I'm a human being, if, even mm-hmm. if I'm not the typical white kid in the picture book. But now it's like, uh, it, it's overflowing in the picture book world. And I don't think it's caught up to middle grade and YA particularly, but there's a bit more coming in picture books and it's fantastic to see. Definitely. And uh, speaking of uh, of uh, barbershops, I just want to give a quick shout out to CBWI Michigan, which has yes. um, was doing a fundraiser for a Books for Barbers program over the holidays. And I believe that it's going to be a annual or even year round thing. And so we'll be sure to put a link to, to some more information about that in the notes for, for this episode. Yeah, so let's tell people just a little bit. Um, first of all, Jack mentioned SCBWI, which is a hard thing to pronounce, <laughs> but it and it, it's hard to remember what it stands for sometimes, but it stands for the Society for Children's Books, Writers and Illustrators. And that is um, a group I think we're all part of as authors. And it's an international group now. So, and there's chapters in every state and it brings together writers, and illustrators and creators of children's books and people who love to read them. So if you hear us mention SCBWI, that's what it stands for. And then it's a little bit, picking up on what Kelly says, you know, of barbershops being a gathering place, a community place in many communities, um, which has just been reinforced during COVID shutdowns, how hard that is when they're closed. This is a way that when a kid goes to get their haircut, that they're given a free book. Oh, that's great. And there's books that have been um, curated on a list um, for that will be 
good for kids of different ages. So there's kids, um, there's, there's books that are handed out for preschool age all the way up through high school. Oh, that's neat. And this is just another way to spread book love all over the world. That's great. Mm -hmm. And this is an initiative that was just organized by our local Michigan chapter. So it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with SCBWI National. So there are all these sort of, you know, little groups um, all around the country and all around the world that are sort of doing their own things in their communities, which is really, um, really fantastic. Um, and also, um, uh, I remember last year, I actually, uh, right around the time, or maybe this year, this year, last year, is it 2021 yet? It is. We're there. <laughs> um, it, at the be Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Um, I, I, I remember like right around the time the, the lockdown started, um, SCBWI um, was doing these online seminars um, with authors like Linda Sue Park. Um, and I like, I watched the Linda Sue Park's revision seminar. And so did I. <laughs> um, yeah. And she's just like a master at her craft. Um, it was just like, I, I felt like I learned so much um, just from that like hour long um, seminar. Um, and so, yeah. So, the, uh, you know, definitely look up the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators when circumstances are better. We, do have conferences where we meet in person. I believe I met Heather at one of these conferences, probably the Midwest one was where we first met, but it's just a really good, great organization that, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be a member of. Yeah. Yeah. We actually met in New York city, Jack. Um, oh, you were right. winning a big award at the <laughs> national SCBWI conference. And uh, yeah, we, we shared lunch in, in a, Grand Central Station area, something like that. Right. Oh, <laughs> that's my gosh, right. Wow. Back when you could eat lunch with people that you'd met five seconds ago, you know, <laughs> without a mask on. Yeah. So, yeah. Just to kind of continue the conversation about books we would have loved um, as a kid, uh, I was thinking about this topic coming into today. And one of the books I thought of was also a graphic novel, um, American Born Chinese by Jean Yang. Um, and it's, uh, it's a graphic novel that's, uh, it's for YA and it's kind of like patterned and inspired a little bit, um, off of these sort of John Hughes, oh, wow. uh, ask like, you know, uh, movies for teenagers basically. Um, and there's um, there's a sort of a, a reference to um, sixteen candles, where there is a um, sort of very pro problematic um, portrayal of uh, an Asian person in that movie. And so, uh, so I, I I won't give too much away uh, about the book, but it's uh, it's a book that really very directly um, sort of confronts. Uh, racism and confronts uh, the main character. One of the main characters, he has this desire to be white, um, and he's uh, he's you know Chinese American, um, and so it's very much directly about that. And 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 thinking about that, I actually don't know if as a kid I would have been ready for that. Um, even reading it, I, I first read it I think in my twenties, and even reading it in my twenties, like there were parts of it that I just like felt myself turning away from because I wasn't ready to like tackle some of those issues head on. Um, so, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I love the book 
now and I would like give it to my future children. Um, at the same time, I don't know if I was quite like would have been quite ready for it as a kid. I do know that some middle grade novels that I've read um, as an adult that I know I would have loved as a kid are by the author Rebecca Stead. Um, when You Reach Me, which is uh, also a Newbery winner. Yeah. Um, it is it's just about like time travel and like all these like big mysterious things. I think Rebecca said really excels at writing about these like big, in some cases, you know, it's like, like uh, when you reach me, it's actual time travels, uh, mysterious like that. In other cases, there could be like a mystery in the family relating to one of its members. There's something, you know, that the adult reader might pick up on, that and and they might understand what's going on but to the kid reader and to the kid main character going through that there's just this sense of this just like deep mystery the sense of you know bigger things happening in their lives all around them that i i was really drawn to as a kid um and i think like i would have found something really you know, I, I would have I felt like I would have been captivated by books like When You Reach Me or uh, another one that I, of hers that I love uh, is this book called Liar and Spy. And yeah, there there was would have just been some kind of like gravity or magnetism to, to their books that I wouldn't have been able to explain as a kid. And um, and yeah, and so uh, I highly you know recommend uh, would recommend Rebecca Stead to 10 year old Jack. Mm hmm. You know, it's interesting, Jack, that you mentioned that you loved it when you were in your 20s. And would you actually have been ready for it or loved it as a kid? Because that is something that is so different. And I often wonder that when I discover a book as an adult, I think I would have loved this. Well, would I really? Because kids often have a very quirky sense of what they like or um, or, or sometimes I look back on a book that I adored as a child and I think, wow, that's terrible writing <laughs> or wow, that has no plot or, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's just like, why did I love it so much? Because it's hard actually. I mean, kids are, are, um, I mean, their personalities are all different, of course, but they're different humans than we are too, even our own selves. So yeah, it, it can be dangerous territory to say what we would love as a kid. It's an excellent, um, point also Jack and saying what I would have been ready for. Um, so that triggered something in me because one of my favorites right now is The Hate You Give by Andy Thomas. And I'm thinking, oh, for sure, I would have loved that. And I probably would have uh, at a younger age, at the YA um, age level. Um, but it actually made me think when you said that, would I have been ready <laughs> mm -hmm. for that? Some of my favorites growing up uh, was Mildred D. Taylor. I read everything that she wrote multiple times over and over, even into mm -hmm. adulthood. And I could easily consider Angie Thomas to be the modern day Mildred D. Taylor with that particular piece. So tragic that the same issues are still in play um, and, and that books like that have to be written. But I for sure did give it to my daughter. She was probably 14 at the time, I wanna say, 13, 14, um, just because it, was a captivating story that was extremely relevant. And for me, I listened to the audiobook before I even read the, the, the book hmm. um, in my hands, per se. And from there, I was hooked because it, I don't know if I've had that experience 
as strong where it just felt like home in the book. Mm -hmm. Even though the main character stars experiences, not all of them were mine. It just felt like home and it felt like family. And she did an excellent job, um, Angie Thomas, of conveying that so many emotions Hmm. in that in that book. But it's something to consider what I've been ready um, Mm -hmm. at an earlier age with any title that we like now as adults. So, listeners, that was a sample of my new podcast, Booksmitten. You can find it in your favorite podcast player. We also have a website at booksmitten.us, that's booksmitten.us, where you'll find links to show notes and different ways to share and subscribe. I hope you'll listen and enjoy it as much as you have this 